Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Dollar Collapse, your ringside seat for the global economic crisis. To get the full story, go to dollarcollapse.com. Welcome. You are listening to the Financial Survival Network. I'm Kerry Lutz. It's May 22nd, 2017, Monday. Bitcoin going crazy, over 2,000. Then we look at the Middle East. Everything is peachy. Everybody loves everybody. Things must really be going well. And then, of course, let's look at our old favorite standard stores of value, gold and silver. Well, gold is back up to 1260 and silver's again broken the $17 mark. It's up 32 cents today and it's right in the low 1720s. What's going on with the world? Let's find out from John Rubino. Hey, Kerry. Yeah, lots of going, lots of stuff going on as usual. Um, President Trump is in the Middle East cutting huge arms deals with uh, Saudi Arabia and, uh, and, and basically isolating Iran even further. So if you look at a map of the Middle East right now, you see all these countries where we have influence surrounding Iran. So they, they should be pretty spooked right now <laughs> and, uh, and, and probably planning for some kind of a conflict in which we try to make it a clean sweep across the Middle East, um, which you know, historically hasn't gone well for us. <laughs> no. We don't seem to understand um, the Muslim world. And if you look at the history of our involvement in the Middle East, it's been one screw up after another that leads to even bigger crises in the future. And there's no reason to think that this one's going to be any different. So it's hard to be optimistic about our involvement in that part of the world just because we don't seem to know what we're doing. And uh, and, and also they don't seem to know what they're doing. It's not a, a simple issue of good guys versus bad guys over there. It's a, a deep-seated religious rivalry with a lot of uh, secular geopolitics thrown in. And it's way too complex for American policymakers, apparently. So don't expect the Middle East to be settled anytime soon and do expect it to blow up periodically. And, and what we're doing over there now isn't going to change that in any way. Well, it'll give them more fireworks to, uh, to make it a more impressive uh, war, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the defense stocks are way up this morning. I wonder <laughs> so, why. Uh, General Dynamics and Lockheed really like what's going on over there, which is also a, a sign that it's not a good thing. Because um, if we, you know, if we fight a big war in the Middle East and we expend huge amounts of ordnance and blow up all kinds of planes and tanks and things, then they all have to be replaced at some point in the future. So that's creating pent up demand for our defense contractors, uh, which is is the way it's always been with war, right? War is a, um, a way to increase demand for the stuff that the arms dealers are selling. So this is no different. Um, You're sounding a little cynical, John, but... Uh, you know, the Middle East, read a few books on the Middle East, and it's just, it, the more you learn about it, the more depressing it is. There, huh. There's a book called uh, Dirty Wars, and I think hmm. it's written by Jeremy Scahill, uh, who's a, an investigative reporter who has, has been covering this subject for a long time. And that chronicles our screw-ups in the Middle East for the past 30 yeah. or 40 years. And they're just 
they're, they're numerous and they're continuous. You know, we back one side in some civil war over there and, uh, and that side wins. But then immediately um, they turn into, quote unquote, terrorists, you know, and then we're backing the opposition to the guys we backed <laughs> before. You know, we created Al Qaeda. Um, wow. Osama bin Laden is a, a creature of uh, American foreign policy or was a creature of American foreign policy. Mm-hmm. And we funded the guys who became ISIS to take just two big examples out of 20. Oh, and, and we were friends with Saddam Hussein. We've armed his military before we had to go in and destroy his military. Well, that was when they were fighting Iran and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So you could argue the policy, but uh, let them all kill each other was kind of the was kind of the unspoken U.S. policy towards the uh, Iran Iraqi uh, war way back when. That that was we helped each side, whichever side looked like it was losing. We, we helped them so they could make a comeback and kill some more of the guys on the other side. Yeah, it worked pretty but well. It will and until Saddam Hussein um, mm-hmm. became our enemy number one. And we had to fight a war that cost us, what, a trillion and a half dollars to uh, to take him out. And then we end up with a fractured country that might have to be divided into three or four pieces because the uh, the constituent tribes don't get along and mm-hmm. and can't manage democratic elections. You know, ISIS took over what half of Iraq at one point after all of all was said and done. Mm-hmm. And then we had to fight a big war to push them back. And that's not done yet. Um, so I, I think if you look at what we could have done with that trillion and a half dollars, there's no comparison between the two outcomes. You know, right. n- name the thing that would have improved America. And with a trillion and a half dollars, we could have pursued it. You know, we could have made it happen. We could have offered health care to everybody if that was what we wanted to do. We could have put solar panels on every roof in every sunny place in the U.S. if that's what we wanted to do. You know, we could have built um, electric car charging stations across the country. And, and you know, now everybody would be driving Teslas. And, and it, it goes on and on, the stuff we could have done. We could have paid off a trillion and a half dollars worth of debt. <laughs> and instead, we, we just... Um, threw it at the Middle East and really got nothing for it because nothing is improved from the days when Iran and Iraq were fighting each other. You know, this isn't any better than back then. So you can make the case that um, um, whether Iraq owns Kuwait or not is irrelevant, whether Iran or Iraq are kind of dominant in the Middle East is irrelevant because that none of them are, are going to end up being our friends. So I don't know. It's <laughs> it's very frustrating. And the more I learn about it, the more frustrating it becomes because there, there is, really is no solution to it in the framework that we've created for it. You know, we can't just pull out of the Middle East because then there will be turmoil for a long time and whoever pulled out will get blamed for it. Yeah, we own the so place. You, we we, yeah, it. as as, um, as the old so. saying goes, you, um, you break it, it, you bought it. it. Yeah. And, and we bought it big time. So yeah, yeah. There's no uh, easy ways out of this thing. But uh, maybe that's what Bitcoin is telling us. It's over 2021 and change. I mean, that's, uh, that's huge. Yeah, Bitcoin might be a bigger story than the Middle East right now. It's It's an actual private currency that's gaining ground is certainly in terms of value on all the fiat currencies of the world. That's the best performing currency out there right now. Bitcoin is, and it's growing in terms of its market cap dramatically. So it's, it's starting to approach the, uh, the market value of a small country's currency supply. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And one of the reasons that that's happening is that actually there are two reasons. One is that the algorithm that controls the supply of Bitcoin limits its supply. Um, at, it's going to grow slowly and steadily for um, a few more years and then cap out where right. it stops growing at a number that is <clears throat> minuscule in terms of a, a national and certainly global money supply. So that's part of the reason why it's soaring. Another reason is that um, cyber criminals have chosen Bitcoin as the ransom currency of choice now. <laughs> so lots of potential um, targets of ransomware are stocking up on Bitcoin so they can pay the ransom right away. You know, if you're a hospital and you get hit with ransomware that shuts down your database and people are dying unless you get access to their records. That's a problem. You, you don't need at that point to go, okay, we have to pay a thousand Bitcoins to somebody. What are Bitcoins? Where do we get them? How do we do this? You know, you don't want that <laughs> to happen after you get hit with your ransomware. So they're stocking up now. So they've got a Bitcoin account that they can just go, all right, here's your thousand. Unlock our accounts, you know, unlock our data. Please. Um, and, and that's creating a lot of demand out there in the world. But there might be a fatal flaw in, um, in, in Bitcoin in terms of its price going forward. And that is the fact that while the, the supply of Bitcoin is limited by its algorithm, um, there are no real onerous barriers of entry in the cryptocurrency market in general. Right. People are starting new currencies like crazy. And just lately, Bitcoin fell below 50% of the cryptocurrency market. Uh, and that's not because Bitcoin um, like, is falling in value. It's soaring in value. Yeah. But the supply of Bitcoin from other, the supply of other cryptocurrencies is soaring I've as got, people create them and release them. I've got the idea for a new currency and it's, it's going to kill. It's going to be <laughs> better than anything else out there. Because remember Murray Rothbard? The famous sure. uh, Austrian economist, he always gave an example of money and how it worked. And he said, if I create a currency unit called Rothbard's, you know, and he gave that as an example, let's you and me create a new cryptocurrency called Rothbard's. I think that will sell this, especially among uh, the sound money crowd, right? You just have to name it right, John. That's all. I think well, that's it. Yeah. And you, and you know, they're out there focus grouping names for new cryptocurrencies. <laughs> so they're, they're going to come out with a lot of attractive names and Rothbard would be one that would appeal to, to libertarians. It. Yeah, of course, it. it would compete with gold. So there was there would be kind of a, um, um, a little bit of a cognitive dissonance going on there if you were going to buy a uh, cryptocurrency instead of gold, if you're a gold bug, but they'll get over it. I mean, yeah, look, it's yeah. uh, a, a, he wrote a book. What has the government done to our money? I think he mentioned mm -hmm. it there. He's giving, um, you know, examples, but he said, yeah, we'll just create a Rothbard and, you know, it'll become a currency, a competing currency. So I think it would be a great one. We could have a picture of him on it and, you know, in his rumpled suit uh, lecturing. <laughs> I think it's like the intellectual. It'll be the intellectual's cryptocurrency. I mean, there's a market yeah. for everything. You could have your hedonistic uh, cryptocurrency works at like uh, strip clubs and uh, prostitutes. They they only take theirs and we can have ours, right? Yeah. Sort of like affinity credit cards. Right. Affinity uh, currencies. But, but so, so what that means for the value of any given cryptocurrency is that it's actually not limited because... Mm so many new ones are coming out. And in a lot of cases, they're, they're technically as good as the ones that came before, because apparently that, that, that kind of a, a setup, now that it's well understood, is doable. You know, the whole blockchain thing can be applied to other currencies besides Bitcoin. 
which means that potentially the supply of, in effect, Bitcoin, in other words, currencies that, that work the same way as Bitcoin and are, are just as technically valid, might explode going forward. And that puts a cap on the value of any given type of cryptocurrency. So that should be a little scary for people who are paying really high prices for Bitcoin right now, because you don't know where the point is that supply starts to outstrip demand, because that, that's normally the way um, hot markets work, right? You know, when, when tech stocks were exploding in, in 1998, 1999, the supply of shares in tech companies also exploded. Yeah. And the same thing is happening in the cryptocurrency space now where it's really lucrative to create a new cryptocurrency and release it into this market because there's demand for it. You know, if you're a cryptocurrency, uh, you know, uh, Ethereum, let's say, is $60 per coin and Bitcoin is 2000 and they both work the same way as mediums of exchange, then why not buy the cheap one and expect it to go up in the future to approach Bitcoin's value? And that would have yeah. the effect of limiting Bitcoin's price increases and maybe pulling it down. So, you know, who knows? This is a brand new market, but we've seen examples of the process at work in the past. And it's a it's a scary prospect for Bitcoin as the by far the most expensive cryptocurrency. So I don't know. You know, I don't know where Bitcoin peaks out and I don't know where supply eventually swamps demand. But it's possible that something like that is coming. You know, it, it very well could be. You know, you could have, so you can't increase the supply of Bitcoin. And I wanted to make one other point. The beauty of Bitcoin, as far as keeping its value, is because you can't make any more of them. It kind of goes back to Milton Friedman's currency board. He wanted a currency board to take over control of producing additional currency. And you could then limit the annual growth, according to his theory, to 2% a year which would probably get rid of inflation and mean that the currency will actually appreciate over time. So here, with the fact that you can't create more than the absolute number of Bitcoins allowable in the, uh, in the algorithm, you've got the currency control board. The only thing is, could you create credit in Bitcoin? You know, how would you do that? Could there be such a thing as Bitcoin credit? I don't sure. Know. I mean, you could lend Bitcoin for interest, it's it's money. You have to you have it. But see, the monetarism ended up having the same fatal flaw that 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 I'm saying that cryptocurrencies might have, which is you you can control the the supply of base money, in other words, um, cash and um, and Federal Reserve balance sheet amounts. You can control that stuff, but you can't control all the other things that are money like out there, and they can expand and contract really dramatically. For instance, uh, treasury bonds have aspects of money and the government is creating huge numbers of them. And when people get excited, you know, when, when there's an upswing in economic growth going on, lots of things develop moneyness and start to be used as money. You know, we get to the point where um, subprime housing market bonds were, were in right. effect money back in 2006, 2007. And so the money supply still bounces all over the place and you still have huge swings and booms and busts and inflation and everything. So monetarism for that reason never really ended up working. And it could be that the same thing is true in the cryptocurrency space. Yes, Bitcoin supply is limited, but all kinds of quasi-Bitcoin entities are being created and their supply is exploding. 
in the aggregate. You know, even if each one of them has um, has a limit on its ultimate supply, if you create a thousand of them, you know, then, yeah. or a thousand new versions of it, each with its own limit, in the aggregate, you get a huge money supply in the cryptocurrency space, yeah. and maybe one that's growing faster than the demand for it. Which means um, you could have a crash in cryptocurrency values out there somewhere. I, I think the analogy of, of tech stock supply is uh, is a pretty good one here. You know, when uh, when you can bring out any kind of a company with a dot com at the end of its name and huge amounts of money flows into it, then thousands of companies with dot coms come out and billions and, and hundreds of billions of dollars flow into those companies that would have gone into something else. So it lowers the price of the legit dot coms um, because it sucks all the, the money that would have gone into the legit ones into uh, less legitimate ones. Um, same thing could happen in the cryptocurrency space. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And also interesting to see how governments react to this. If cryptocurrencies, which they are now um, becoming, if they become a threat to national currencies, then how will governments respond? Right now, governments in a lot of places are kind of welcoming to Bitcoin. You know, in Japan, that it's it's almost like legal tender. It's, it's legal money that you can uh, yeah. use for a lot of different transactions without excessive government regulation. You know, they're not calling it a commodity where you have to pay taxes on every transaction or anything. And... That's that's been really positive for Bitcoin. But should governments change their mind? You know, if they decide that uh, Bitcoin is actually a threat to the yen or the yuan or the euro or which the dollar, it is. which it is, <laughs> well, sure. it, it is there. But governments haven't started responding haven't to out. that perceived threat yet. You know, well, the, here I've I told you a little insider information that mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve is actively working both here and in Europe on the issue. What they plan to do, I'm not sure, but there's somebody who's actually in charge of it who's working on this now as we speak. We know, oh, oh we know yeah, who, no doubt. I know they, who they've the got to be watching is. this with, uh, yeah. with, with concern. And, and <laughs> I, know, know, I know who the person is. I can't talk about it because uh, get them into trouble. But, uh, but this is being actively addressed as we speak. There's, you know, you heard the rumors that China is going to release its own cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a crypto yuan effectively. I don't believe any country wants to do this because it takes control of their monetary system out of their hands effectively, right? If you, yeah, there's an well, algorithm maybe. that says you can only have X number of dollars and not one penny more, what's the Federal Reserve for? Yeah, um, it, it's not clear how this plays out because this is new. We've never had private sector money gain this kind of traction in the world. Right. So we've never seen how governments react to it. I, I think governments were caught flat-footed by this. I'm sure they don't yeah. have contingency plans from the 1980s for the rise of a no. cryptocurrency because it wasn't technically feasible. And suddenly it became feasible. Now it's yeah. real and they've got to do something about it. So they could regulate Bitcoin out of existence if they want to. They could send the NSA and the CIA out to hack the Bitcoin exchanges, take them down and have everybody who has currency on the exchange lose their money and in that way discredit cryptocurrencies. Um, or they could embrace them and use them as a means of control. You know, if they're tracking yeah. Catherine Austin Fitz 
says this, that a, a cryptocurrency world is ideal for governments because they can track everything you do. All your transactions, you think they're anonymous because of the blockchain, yada, yada, yeah. but, but they don't necessarily have to be anonymous. The NSA can track everything. And uh, if, if they decide that cryptocurrencies are a great tool for social control, then maybe they'll let them flourish and they'll watch them and they'll see everything that everybody does and use that as a means to snuff out dissent. Who knows? You know, there, there are so many different moving parts here that it's not at all clear how it plays out. Um, but what is clear is that it's a fascinating experiment, <laughs> you know, and yeah. over the next decade or so, we'll find out what it turns into. And it's just so human. Humans always look to improve and change and grow. And this is just another uh, growth uh, example of human growth potential. Uh, oh, yeah. So much. Well, of, of, of uh, creative destruction. You know, capitalism is an amazing thing. You turn people loose and they come up with better ways of doing things, which wipe out the old ways of doing things. And so the question is, will, will governments submit to capitalist creative destruction of their currencies, of the main source of power that governments have? You know, um, jet planes and tanks and guns are all nice, but control of the currency is a much more powerful thing. And will they give that up without a fight? That's the question. Or will they co-opt it somehow and, uh, you know, let let cryptocurrencies prove themselves in the open market and then co-opt them somehow, you know, take them over? Who knows? I, think, I, I suspect they would like to do that. Oh, I, and then yeah. while all this is going on, you've got the whole gold money, um, cyber gold currency that's developing out there. Mm hmm which I think is um, is the most, that's actually the, the thing that got me into gold to begin with way back when was uh, James Turk, James Turk's attempt to create a um, an e-gold type currency where you, you have gold in a vault that's super safe and isn't going anywhere, but you can buy and sell parts of it the way you would use a dollar with, you know, with a credit card. And in that way, supplant fiat currencies with something that's a lot more solid. You know, if gold is what you're holding as money and then you're transacting in it, um, the, the value of your bank account can't go down because of inflation. Mm -hmm. So finally, it looks like the technology has arrived to make that possible too. Right. Which means we, we have an incredible decade of monetary experimentation going on out there. And a lot of really interesting players, or, or if you want to put it in biological terms, a lot of new organisms arriving or arising in this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And they're all vying for similar niches. So it'll be really interesting to see which ones end up being fittest and, and, and end up dominating their niches. It's not clear at this point, <laughs> no, it's but uh, it'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. Hey, well, that's it for today. Anyway, questions, comments on this, any other topic we cover, email kl at kerrylutz.com. The Twitter feeds at Kerry Lutz and the Facebook page is Financial Survival Network. John, we'll catch you next Monday and it's uh, Memorial Day, but uh, we never stop. We never do. Thanks, Kerry. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Dollar Collapse. For regular info and updates throughout the day, go to dollarcollapse.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.